Welcome to Poets and Writers. This is Henry McCarthy coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. And I'm on the road today. I'm in Winston-Salem, North Carolina at the North Carolina School of the Arts. Oh, it's a great place here. A lot of actors, a lot of musicians, a lot of poets. And we have a special person here with us today, Joe Mills. And Joe, I've heard him read around town here and he is excellent. So Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right, Joe, uh, as we like to ask around these mountains, where are you from? Uh, well, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Indiana and Illinois, and then I moved further and further west. Uh, eventually ended up in California and moved here in 98, here being Winston-Salem, and was only going to stay for a year or two, and been here for 20 years now. 20 years here at the School of the Arts. And it was called, uh, had a name change, right? We won't get into that, but it's now the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Right. At the time, it was the North Carolina School right. of the Arts, and now it's the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. So you teach here, and what do you teach? I teach writing and literature. I got a, a PhD from the University of California in Davis. Uh, so I came here to teach composition and humanities, and I teach a variety of writing and humanities courses. All right, and we're practicing social distance today, so if we get a little echo, folks, I know you'll forgive me, and uh, uh, this is, uh, you're listening around the valley here, and of course we stream all over the world, and we're archived at the University of North Carolina in Southern Folk Life. So Joe, how'd you get started into poetry? Tell us a little bit about that, and, and so you grew up, um, you grew up, where'd you say you grew up? I grew up in Indiana. I didn't know any writers. I grew up in a factory town, and always assumed I was going to live and work in the factory. The factory closed down, so I ended up going off to uh, college instead. Uh, and, you know, I didn't know any writers. Uh, I always thought I kind of wanted to be a writer, but that was a kind of, yeah, maybe someday. And people were supportive in that. If I would have said I wanted to be an astronaut or a space alien, it would have been like, yeah, good luck. But we don't know any of those people. so. So it was after college, probably in college, I started to write some very bad poems. I'm glad none of those are around anymore. Uh, I'm very thankful. Hopefully those will never surface. And started really writing more seriously in my 30s and thinking I got better in my 40s. And, you know, one of the love about writing is you can keep working on it and get better and better. So I published a, a book. My first collection was called Somewhere During the Spin Cycle, and it was your your proverbial thin volume of poetry, and it was all the poems I could stand to look at after 20 years. And after that, I got a little bit more quick in the production of poetry. Uh, and quite often, I will use my poems to explore a particular theme that interests me, uh, whether it's writing about wine or writing about Shakespeare, writing about my family. And the, I use poetry to explore, and it, it comes, comes more quickly. But Everybody I grew up with is surprised that I'm a poet. I'm surprised that I'm a poet. What were, what, uh, what were some of the things? That, did they go to work in the factory, Joe? Or Well, the factory ended up closing down. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would say, and, and probably maybe this statistic is inaccurate, but a third of us went to college, a third of us went to work, a third of us went to the Army. Mm -hmm. And your parents, uh, did they work there around town? And uh, what kind of work were they in? Or were they uh, teachers? My, my parents worked. They weren't teachers. My father started off as a sweeper and a mechanic and ended up working into management uh, and ended up working up into upper management eventually. Uh, he saw that every winter he kept getting laid off and management didn't get laid off and he decided that's <laughs> what he wanted to do so he could stop you know, going door to door to sell vacuum cleaners. 
my mother w worked as well. You know, they, at times, the joke is that when I was in school, people would say as a kind of gender slur, they would say, your mother is a truck driver. And my mother actually was a truck driver. So I would say, well, yeah, what does your mother do? I mean, of course she is. So uh, she, for a while, was a, a truck driver for a long time. My father built trucks for a long time. So we're a family that's always loved to be So was she a short-haul truck driver, long-haul? She was haul? a long-haul truck driver wow. for a long time and then wanted to do kind of more short-hauls and work for an oil refinery uh, kind of rig. And so I spent one summer on the road with her, which was a, a learning experience. Uh, at the time, she was driving for North American Van Lines. And uh, we, have, we are a family that likes to be on the road. Mm -hmm. We like to travel. Sure, so. I understand that. Absolutely. So your mother, so you could have said you were going to be, they wanted you, of course, to accomplish something, but you, they didn't encourage you to be a poet, but they were open to that, right? Because they were folks who um, were they, open to experience. They, they, they were open to it. They're, they're puzzled by it. Uh, and when I published my first book of poetry, you know, my mother said something quite moving to me at the time, which was, she said, well, these these poems seem to be about us. How can that, how can that be? You know, mm -hmm. we're not the subject of poetry. We're not, our lives are not poetry. We're not, we're not kings and queens and Shakespeare. And this is just our life. She, and, you know, there's no rhyme in my poems. There was no, they're not very formal. She was absolutely puzzled by them. Like, how can this be considered poetry? Which I found accurate, but also sad in a way. Well, and, and Joe Mills, what, kind of poetry, you know, I, when I say what kind of poetry do you like, and you know, I have to say, as far as teaching poetry, we want to talk a little bit about that, and I'm just brainstorming here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina today on Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7, Joe Mills, an excellent poet, and we're talking, uh, his mother was a truck driver, and what'd you say your father did again? My he, father worked for International Harvester right. for most of his career. But he started out... Uh, it, Started out as a mechanic, and uh, he started out literally as a sweeper, and then moved over to the factory line and worked his way up. Well, Joe Mills, who are some poets that you like? Uh, well, partly, probably because of that, I've always really loved Philip Levine, mm -hmm. uh, and the, the poem What Work Is was always very important to me. I love James Wright. Uh, I love Rita Dove. You know, um, I think it's, it's either... Billy Collins talks about reading a poem by Tom Gunn and discovering... He's talking about Elvis Presley and Coca-Cola and this idea of, oh, we can write about those things. And so that's a, that's a revelation. So uh, those are some of the poets I love. I love writers like Kurt Vonnegut when I was growing up, another kind of Indiana writer. Um, How about I, Charles Bukowski? Yes, I, you know, I love those, those ones who speak. Uh, Charles Bukowski, um, O'Hara. The, the lunch poems were really important to me, these kind of ca seemingly casual, but in fact, really beautifully and sophisticated, constructed kind of slices of life. Now, you mentioned Levine's poem. What, what, what do you like about that poem? Uh, one of the things I love about it is it's a poem that talks about kind of waiting in line and, and what work is. And this, I, I love poems that shift. Something has to happen. If I feel the same way at the end of the poem, if the poem hasn't shifted in some way, then it's not that that poem is a failure, but that poem didn't accomplish to me what it could have set out to do. I shouldn't feel the same way at the end. We, sh we should have traveled in some kind of journey, in a way. Right, 
Right, and we always say they have to tell a story, you know. And uh, you have many stories, and you have, I've heard you read, and I really love your poetry. So let's go ahead and get Joe Mills to read some of his poem today on poets and writers. You have, uh, how many books? I mean, you have a lot of books out there, I know, that you've written. Right now I have uh, six books of poetry. Uh, I pub the last book I published was my first book of fiction called Bleachers, but I have six collections of poetry. I'm working on my seventh at the moment, which is a, a book of poems about dance. But well, the one about bleachers, you have one in there to think about taking your child to the sports event or to the little league game and so forth and the parents you're describing there? Yeah, bleachers is entirely, it's set at a, a youth soccer game and it's 54 pieces of different people's uh, perspective as they stand in the bleachers. And it, one of the ways it de developed is I write a, a lot in very short forms that are very narrative that sometimes might be monologue or sometimes they might not be. And I'm not very interested in, in categorizing it, whether it is a prose poem or a flash fiction or a monologue. It is a short piece that explores a moment to me. So I've had the same piece published in a, a volume of poetry and then published in an anthology of fiction. And I, that distinction doesn't matter to me. Uh, what matters to me is shaping the work in a way that is interesting and kind of not honest, but in a way that explores something. About okay, all right, Joe, let's hear, have some poetry for the folks around the valley here, the folks over up in Marion, Damascus, and all around, you know. Actually, we have some listeners over in Helsinki, uh, Finland, but we stream there, of course. So we're going to hear some poetry from Joe. So we were talking about uh, how, before the show started, that I moved here, uh, moved here in 98 and was only going to stay here for a year or two. But now I've, I've lived here for a long time and my children are being raised here. So this poem is called, We Were Only Going to Stay a Year or Two. The way my children speak sounds strange to me. They put unnecessary syllables in words. And watching football, my son says, Daddy, that's just a big old mess. It's odd that I can name almost all the children in the neighborhood, where they go to school and the jobs their parents have or have lost. I nod to strangers. I give directions according to where places used to be. I no longer think anything about taking the neighbor's garbage cans to the curb. This is how it happens. Roots grow or don't. In the spring, no one should bother asking dogwoods if they intended to flower. Okay, all right, Joe Mills. All right, we're on a roll here with your poetry. That's a nice, that's a good poem. Let's uh, let's have some more, Joe. And as I like, as I like to say now, feel free to interrupt me if I start talking too much. So we got Joe on. Let's get some more poetry from Joe. So that poem and this poem uh, both comes from a book called *This Miraculous Turning*, where uh, I'm thinking a lot about my children and raising my children, uh, and it's divided into several different parts. These poems are more towards the end uh, in a kind of synthesis section. But this poem is called, We've Had This Conversation Before. We've had this conversation before, my wife and I, many times. About, oh, I'm sorry, I totally messed that up. That's great. <laughs> and I, I was thinking one thing in my mind and reading something totally different. And it's, it's important to distinguish here because it's not my wife, it's my daughter. So, let me start again, please. We've had this conversation before. We've had this conversation before, my daughter and I many times, about what she might buy with her allowance, about candy, about how her brother annoys her, about where her birth mother might be. 
And we've had this conversation before, my son and I, many times, about how fast he is, how fast horses are, about candy, about how his sister bosses him, about how much a horse costs. And we've had this conversation before, my wife and I, many times, about how tired we are, about what we might buy them and how much it all costs, about how they annoy us, how fast they're growing, how scared we are about what might happen, about this life, this life, so tiring and wonderful, and how if we could, we'd repeat it, this life, many times, many times. Yes, children, they, we find so much meaning with them, and uh, I don't, I assume you're not a grandparent yet, but... Uh, no, although but, I've reached the point that I could be, well, uh, you're, theoretically, you're, but... That's, that, that's fun, we now have seven children, and it certainly adds meaning to all the years that you put in investing in raising your children. So uh, thank you, Joe Mills. We're on a row. Let's have some more poetry. Well, in that, in that last piece, I, I suddenly uh, made distinction of my daughter, my wife. There's another poem that does that kind of more deliberately and self-consciously. I have a book called Exit Pursued by a Bear. I was rereading Shakespeare, and I really was loving the stage directions in Shakespeare. And the most famous one is Exit Pursued by a Bear, where at one point, this, that's the stage direction. This bear chases somebody across the stage, and we learn later, catches them and eats them. But there had been no bear mentioned. Uh, so I just found myself writing down all the stage directions and writing poems to them because they just fascinated me. And this one is a fairly simple stage direction. It's just Enter Juliet. But when my daughter turned 13 and 14, I read Romeo and Juliet much differently because Juliet is 13 and 14 in that. And, and so I totally saw that play differently. This is called Enter Juliet. Later, she would have regretted the naked photos and the lascivious tweets. She would have looked through yearbook pictures and shook her head at the hair and the clothing and the posing, at the sequins, at how oblivious she was to her own gawkiness at how she had thought she knew everything of importance. Later. But there is no later for her. No stepping from a shower in front of a mirror and thinking, my God, what happened to my ass? No dresser top of expensive creams for her hands. No nights sprawled on the couch with someone who, despite her weight and wrinkles and gray, feels for her in a way that beggars description. No waking, stiff, together morning after morning. So that's a poem. Poems will turn on you. I thought I was writing a poem about my daughter and it turned out I was writing a poem about my wife. Uh, and it ended up being a love poem in a way. Where'd you meet your wife? I met my wife in Europe. We were both on exchange in France. Uh, I was on exchange from America and she was on exchange from England. And we were nicely generous and open with each other because we were both on exchange. It was like, this doesn't mean anything, no big deal. Um, and then it turned out it did mean things. So we were our best selves with each other at the time. So you met on an exchange. Wow, you know, from uh, Indiana and the um, mills of Indiana, so to speak, and you're on an exchange over in France, right? And Oh, yes. Yeah, what was her background? <laughs> uh, well, she's, uh, she's European. She's half, okay. half English and half French. And, so, and she was my boss at the time. So she was much more familiar with uh, France, and I was much more kind of 
wandering around just amazed and needing, needing help. I think she took me by the hand sometimes because she felt sorry for me. So, but it, it was a, a wonderful experience. I was the first person in my, my family to go off to college as well. So all of these experiences, I always just felt both grateful, but overwhelmed as well. So, What's your wife's name? Uh, my wife's name is Danielle. Martha. Wow. And uh, what does she do? She was a teacher for a long time, mm -hmm. and now she's an actress. No, oh, she's an actress. So, yes. Uh, around here, or uh, her agent is in Atlanta, and mm -hmm. so she does a lot of work in Atlanta and um, on the southeast, basically. What is she? What some of the things she's done? And uh, well, she just she was in NCIS. Uh, she does a lot of uh, films around here. She just did, and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say because uh, mm -hmm. where the promotion is, but she just did some work for Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta. Oh, well, I know. So, yes, yes, I've had the. Uh, Fortune and misfortune of auditioning there with them, but uh, they wanted me to pay, play a lawyer. And uh, you see, your wife will appreciate this. I went in and played it one way, but I, I played it too sedate. And I actually uh, told my wife it was her fault because she was helping me with it, but you're right. And also auditioned for um, Sully in yeah. Atlanta. So share that with you and had a good experience with that. And they said, if you get through this interview, you get to meet Clint. And I said, well, who's Clint? But uh, then, then one of my friends who's a model and actually a promoter, Bill Avery, had a big film out there, one with the shark that came out not too long ago. Uh, she told me, said, well, you weren't going to get a part in that anyway. I said, what do you mean? She said, you look like Sully. And, and I did. I said, well, you know, I could interview for Sully. And they said, we have someone for that. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? And so my friend who auditioned with me and who put me up, because you don't offer that, uh, we laughed, I sent her a note and said, you know, that uh, No Talent Tom Hanks got my role. Yeah, so anyway, but that's great. And you have two children, right? Uh, yes, two. yes and, we do. And they're in school here, and, and how yes, old are they? they? Well, now they're teenagers. Okay. So now uh, they're 15 and 18, and living with teenagers is a different thing entirely. It certainly is, you know. They kind of uh, want to get their distance from you from time to time, and Reminds me of a story. I love to tell stories. My friend Jay Worrell, I used to do prison reform, and Jay was really a wise person and had such an interesting background. And he said, I took Jay Jr. with me to the movie the other day, Henry. And I said, how'd that go? He said, not very good. He said, he's now 14 or 15, and he takes himself all the way on the other side of the theater and sits by himself. So, but I, I think that's called Roots and Wings, Joe, you know, getting... Yeah, I, I remember the first time I walked in my daughter across the street and she said, you don't have to hold my hand anymore, Daddy. And I was like, but, but I want to hold your hand. But that's that kind of distancing. And uh, it's been more difficult for us because that distancing that would be natural, the pandemic has, has mm. kept us all together. So we can't, mm -hmm. can't always find our, our, our space. Um, mm -hmm. Are they online? And, and yes, you, so and they're online at school. So we're all trying to find new routine. So as a writer, I tend to have always written a lot in coffee shops, mm -hmm. but that has had to change. And now my children are home schooling at home, which is not the same as homeschooling. Uh, so I'm trying to find spaces and places that I can work and that find a routine that really works for me. And I haven't sorted it out yet. But if you do uh, coffee shops, you get to observe people while you're doing it. Yes, which I've always Most loved. Times, and right. I've always loved hearing, yeah. overhearing, uh, hearing people talk, 
But I, I won't be sitting in a coffee shop now for a while. So. Exactly right, because we are practicing. We have our mask on today, and we're keeping our distance here, folks around the valley. And this is Henry McCarthy, WEHC 90.7 Poets and Writers. And Joe, it's just a pleasure having you on the show today. And let's, let's, get, let's get a couple more poems from you. Okay. You've got, you've got your books there, and uh, you're very well published. And <laughs> But what I like about Joe, you know... Um, Joe does poetry, and he's academic, but his poetry, I have to be careful here, but his poetry is real, and, uh, and I love that. I have a degree of a background in academics, but my purpose in starting this show, Joe, was to get the little people on. So that's been uh, 11 years now, and you know, I guess I'm the smallest person of all, but we've certainly had some fascinating people on. We've had people who've written books about their dog, and on and on and on. Then we've had Pat Conroy on, Lee Smith, and even had the Secretary of Defense reading poetry, not the present one. Yeah. And um, so, Joe? You've had some great uh, great people in the archives I've seen, well, a lot of really wonderful Press 53 writers, which yep. is uh, my press. Mm -hmm. So my wife says, uh, or at least she, she used to say that, my poetry is, is they're poems for people who think they don't like poetry, uh, which... It, uh, mm -hmm which I, I, mm -hmm. I don't think is a left-handed compliment. I think That's it is a good compliment, um, and it, it's more accessible sometimes. Yeah, there's a saying, when they start calling you a poet, you're no longer a poet. Yes. You know, I always so, like that. So. And that always makes people really uneasy. So, <laughs> uh, My daughter, we've mentioned my daughter, who's a really wonderful human being, but she, from the time she could talk, has asked questions nonstop. And she would wake up asking questions and fall asleep asking questions. And so... This poem is about some of those questions. It's called How You Know. And it's something that she asked when she was younger. How do you know if it's love, my daughter asks. And I think if you have to ask, it's not. But I know this won't help. I want to say you're too young to worry about it, as if she has questions about Medicare or Social Security. But this won't help either. You'll just know is a lie. And one truth, when you still want to be with them the next morning, would involve too many follow-up questions. The difficulty with love, I want to say, is sometimes you only know afterwards that it's arrived or left. Love is the elephant, and we are the blind mice unable to understand the whole. I want to say love is this desire to help, even when I know I can't. Just as I couldn't explain electricity, stars, the color of the sky, baldness, tornadoes, fingernails, coconuts, or the other things she has asked about over the years. All those phenomena whose daily existence seems miraculous. Instead, I shake my head. I don't even know how to match my socks. Go ask your mother. She laughs and says, oh, I did. Mom told me to come and ask you. <laughs> All right, very good. Joe Mills writing poetry and sharing it with us today on Poets and Writers. and. Wonderful family stories. I can appreciate that very much, and I know our listeners can. So all right, let's. I want to get some. We're, I'm watching the <laughs> clock here today. We have a we have a great uh, producer and uh, Ivy Shepherd. Ivy has come on in the last uh, three or four months. She just does a fantastic job, and she she will build in some music with these. So um, don't be surprised when you, you get a copy of this. You'll hear music built into it. So uh, go for it. Go for it. Uh, well, this poem, uh, talking about my wife, I don't write many love poems. I mean, everything I write is a love poem, I guess. It'd be paying attention to something to what we love. But I don't really write many explicit ones. Uh, 
but I did write this one, which is a, from a book called Angels, Thieves, and Winemakers, which is a book of poems about wine, uh, and how wine always represents something else. We love it because it's always a metaphor, it's always about metamorphosis. When I picture glasses of wine, I always picture two mm -hmm. uh, as we're there together. So this poem is called The Good Nights. On the good nights, when the bottle's empty, we always want just a little more, half a glass, a few sips, a taste. We know this desire can be dangerous to pursue, that it can make mornings difficult. So usually we brush our teeth, let the dog in, lock the doors. But sometimes, even as we say, we really should get ready for bed, instead of loading the dishwasher, we will search for the corkscrew, all the while shaking our heads in wonder at this willingness to ignore the clocks and the fact we have to work tomorrow. This irresponsibility, this evidence, even after all these years, of the unquenchable desire for each other's company. Beautiful poem, beautiful love poem, and I know your wife is going to appreciate that. And I thought it was a love poem, but you never know how people will react to poems. And somebody once came up to me and said, oh, I really like that poem about alcoholism. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay. You, know, you just keep drinking and drinking, and it's like, sure. I, I, I have to share with you, I write a little poetry, and I did one, and it was called The Edge, and it was actually about human relationships, but I had a little fawn in it, a little deer, and I had a number of folks. I mean, I really liked that about the deer, that environmental statement. I'm like, well, it, you know, I didn't, I let it go at that, as you know. Yeah, you, you can't control what people will read out of your poems, and once they're gone, they're, they're out there, and people will see them how they see them. So. Well, Joe, as we move along today, uh, closing comments for us, observations, anything, just flow of consciousness, if you like. You can pretty much, you can pretty much say anything on this show, as long as you don't use four-letter words, and then they'll cut it. Uh, I, well, no, I think for my closing comment, I will, right. I will read another poem, because I've been thinking, one of the things that the pandemic does is it, is it makes you really concentrate on what it is you value. Like, you have all this time, so really, what are you going to do with this time? What is it that you value? And how does that work? And so this poem is called According to My Friend the Astrologer. And it's from a book called Sending Christmas Cards to Huck and Hamlet, about how we read books and read the world. I mean, the three things I've been doing during the pandemic, I've been reading, which has been wonderful. I've been walking and I've been bike riding. And these are all things I wanted to do. So this is called According to My Friend the Astrologer. He reads my chart every year on my birthday. And the news is never good. My planets never align fortuitously, and some days, even months are bloody. But this time, he grins as he considers the arcs and the diameters. He reaches for the pot of tea we always drink, and after a few sips, he says, It's interesting, because according to this, you're dead. After a moment, I suggest, should be dead? Dying? He shakes his head, no, definitely dead. That's what the stars say. After we finish the tea, he says, I wouldn't worry about it. I've been dead for years. I suppose he means this to be reassuring. We burn the paper, then walk to the marina bar, and when the waitress asks if we want to wait for a table with a view or take the first available, I shrug. It doesn't matter. Apparently, everything from now on is a bonus. My friend laughs and nods. That is exactly what the universe has been trying to tell you. Oh, beautiful poems today. Thank you, Joe Mills, for sharing. And they can get a copy of these poems. Press 53, right? Press 53, yes. Joe Mills, pick up a copy and 
Listen, folks out there, it's great to, great to be talking with you today and sharing poetry with you. And this is Henry McCarthy saying, Do not wait up for me. Do not be afraid to stay or still away. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. And thank you so much, Joe Mills, and thank you for listening. Thank you.